jumping back and forth for the last two weeks. Now the third week we are in a dangerous prayers series where we are walking through some, some pretty dangerous prayers, but dangerous in a very, very good way. That if we pray them, they have the, the potential to really change our lives, change the, the direction of our lives in a way that will bring glory and honor to God. And I'm just... Just so thankful. I'm, I'm just up here today with all kind of different emotions when I think about Brenna and now Jordan coming up here preaching. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> but I'm just so thankful for what God is doing in, in this young man's life and his family, him and Blair and, and Judah, and, and just so thankful that we get to be a part of it. And so thankful for how I've watched um, Jordan grow over the last year and a half and just all that God is doing and, and their family. I tell you, it's just just amazing for me just to be able to, to watch it and um, to be able to, to bring him up now and just to, to hear him just dive and divide, dive into and divide God's word for us. So with that said, if you can um, help me uh, make Jordan welcome this morning as we're about to jump in the word together. morning church so as pastor Micah just said the last two weeks we've been going over a dangerous prayers uh, brother Michael talked about how we should pray for God to use us uh, pastor Micah talked about how we should pray to God to help us um, I don't know who picked the order of this but they did not save the best for last all right I have must have drawn the short straw in this and another thing I need to bring up before we get started is Pastor Micah likes to joke about after I get done that he gets rollover minutes for the next Sunday, but that's not happening today. So if you want more minutes, Pastor, you're going to need to upgrade your plan. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be starting off in Psalm 25. So if you want to head over there, I will meet you over there in just one second. Um, I was asked a while back by Pastor Micah to give a sermon on dangerous prayers. And with this day being a day to celebrate Brenna, our graduate, I continuously prayed on what a dangerous prayer would be for a young lady that is moving on to the next stage of her life. She is facing many choices ahead, and a lot of times that can feel overwhelming and feel really burdensome. What do I do? You know, am I making the right choice? Is this what I want to do with my life? This led me to talk about the prayer, lead me. Now, this is a dangerous prayer. This prayer is downright scary. Because essentially what you are saying is my life is no longer in my control. I give it to you, God, and do with it what you will. Where you want me to go, I will go. What you want me to do, I will do. Lead me, and I will follow. That's dangerous. See, this prayer isn't just for a high school graduate, though. Whether she should go to this college or this college or pursue this degree or this job or vocational school or whatever she decides to do, it is so much more than that. This prayer is for everyone, whether you're 13, 33, 103, married, single, divorced, kids, no kids, wherever you are in life, we should want God to lead our lives. Therefore, we need to pray for God to lead us. But before we jump into it, let us read what the Bible has to say about it. We want the word to drive the sermon and not the sermon to drive the word. So again, we're going to be in Psalm 25, and we're going to read verses 5 and 6, and then we're going to jump down and read verse 9. If you are able and willing I would ask that we stand as we read the word of God. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O God, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. In verse 9, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble 
his way. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we love you. I just thank you for this time spent in your word. Uh, let your voice be heard in all this, Father, not my own. Uh, Father, we, we love you. And just let your spirit fill this room. I let hearts and minds be moved towards you, Father. Lord, we love you and we need you. Amen. You may be seated. See, in this psalm of David, David is pleading for the Lord to lead him. And you know what the Bible says about people who are being led by God? See, Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Children of God. If, you, if God is leading your life, you are a child of God. Let's not gloss over this fact. We are children of God. We are children of the Most High King, the Wonderful Counselor, the Creator. God is calling us His own. What an amazing and wonderful truth that is. And it also means if we are a child of God, that also means we are a disciple of Christ. Which leads me to talk about three things. When we pray this prayer, three things are going to happen. I'm just as surprised as you are that it was three. The first thing is, God will take us out of our comfort zone. Look back at verse 9. It says, he leads the humble in what is right. It doesn't say what is easy, what is comfortable, what we are used to. God very well could lead us into uncomfortable and even downright dangerous situations. But you know what? The Bible says that's what's right. You really think I want to be up here? This is absolutely terrifying to me. I'm a nervous wreck right now, all right? But I love it. See, none of this were the plans I had when I was coming up for my life. See, going to seminary, being a student minister, going to India this fall, none of that was on the table when I was drawing up my plans. See, I was a priester in my 20s. I would show up at Easter and Christmas, maybe, all right? What was that? Uh, I would joke about how the church roof would collapse if I walked into it. I thought every answer to every question I had could be found at the bottom of a 12-ounce bottle. If you knew me five years ago, you had to be going, how in the world is this guy up here preaching to me right now? And that answer is so great, yet so simple. It's God. Right? It's no secret that it took the act of my pregnant wife getting cancer to get my attention. But when God got my attention, he got it, and Lord willing, he's never going to lose it. See, I want to follow him. I want to be a disciple. I want a heart on fire for Christ. I prayed to God to lead my life, lead my family, and this is where I ended up, and thank you, God, for that. Yeah. Amen. See, just look in the Bible, and you will see example after example of people who were in their comfort zone, and God did a work in their life. See, David was a shepherd herding sheep. Then one day, the, the prophet Samuel comes to his door and anoints him. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, it says, so Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. See, David is God's anointed from that moment forward. It takes him 10, some people even estimate 15 years, to become king after being anointed. In those 10, maybe 15 years, David kills a giant. King Saul attempts to kill David multiple times, and he has to live in a cave. Does any of that sound like David was living a life of comfort? Absolutely not. His life was full of danger and peril, but it was right because it was all for God. Amen. See, but without David following God, we would not get God's covenant with David. See, 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13 tell us, 
When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. David having God lead his life leads to Jesus Christ, which led to our salvation. Another example is the first disciples, right? The first disciples of Jesus are another great example of men being led out of their comfort zone. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20 tell us, As he, he being Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you a fisher of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed, me, followed him. Let these verses sink in, church. These two men were at work. These two men were making a living, going about their day. Jesus comes up to them and says, follow me. And they immediately dropped their nets and they followed him. What a beautiful testament. They were not afraid to follow Christ. They followed immediately. The opposite of faith isn't uh, doubt. It's fear. Fear paralyzes and faith produces actions. These men were not afraid to follow Jesus, even though they had a business to run, even though they had lives they had established. When God called, they answered without hesitation. One last example before we move on. And this can be found in Genesis 22. The story of Abraham taking his son Isaac to be sacrificed. Verses 1 and 2 say, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So God tells him to sacrifice his son, the son he waited 25 years to have, the son that was promised to him by God, the son that the Bible says he loved. And God tells him to sacrifice him. I don't know about you, but I probably would have dragged my feet a little bit on this one. I, this wouldn't have been something I would have woken up early on and gone and did first thing in the morning. But that is exactly what Abraham does. Abraham wakes up early to do as the Lord commanded. This order would have made me really uncomfortable. Now, all the parents in here know that dealing with a toddler is not very much fun. It's called terrible twos for a reason. All right, Judah throws tantrums. He slings food whenever he's done eating. And this is on a daily basis, all right? Not my idea of a good time. But even when he has graded every nerve in my body, I would still think I would have a question or two about what was being asked of me. Not Abraham. See, in our teen discipleship, we are reading a book by Pastor Robbie Gallaty called Forgotten Jesus. And these words are going to be displayed on the board. And in it, he said, Abraham doesn't spend days in prayer or time fasting about the decision. He doesn't inquire about Sarah's opinion or pull a friend for insight. He obeys without question. Abraham has learned that in God's eyes, both partial obedience and delayed obedience is disobedience. See, when we are saved by grace, obedience is not a chore. It's a desire. If we are followers of Christ, we should want to be obedient to everything that Christ does, uh, tells us to do. If we proclaim to be followers of Christ, this is what we want to do. We want to do God's will. 
It's not a punishment when God wants to lead us out of our comfort zone. It's a blessing. This is what we should long for. Our creator, our rock, our redeemer wants to use us for his glory. So when we pray this prayer for God to lead us, we better be ready to obey. Which leads me into my second talking point, which is praying for God to lead us will require action. Notice that all the examples I gave, none of them were sitting at home on the couch with their feet propped up. See, God had them in action. Now, don't hear what I didn't say. I'm not saying you have to sign up for a mission trip after the service, but for God to lead, action is required. But if you are being led to a mission trip, don't sit on that either. Go see Larry or go see Robert immediately. All right, let God lead no matter where he is calling you. It could even be just going up to someone and telling them burrito, as Brother Michael pointed out in his sermon. See, church programs are fine and all, but it is people that lead people to Jesus. And if we don't get off the couch, then there are going to be lost people that are going to die without hearing the gospel because of our lack of action. Pre uh, pastor and current president of the International Mission Board, David Platt, tells us where God will lead us. And it's making disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching people with the word of Christ, and then enabling them to do, to do the same thing in other people's lives. This is the plan God has for each of us to impact the nations for the glory of God. So if we are being led by Christ, we will follow the Great Commission, meaning we will be disciples who make disciples. We will be disciples who go out and serve the world. We believe it so much here at Oceanway that it is our mission statement. It is right there on the front of your bulletins. We cannot serve people and spread the gospel when we are arguing over political parties, our sports teams, our personal preferences. You cannot serve people and spread the gospel when you are arguing over anything, period. So you see, the Bible doesn't tell us just to serve. The Bible takes it one step farther and tells us we are to lay down our lives for our brothers. The only problem with that is most of us aren't even willing to lay down our opinions. Do not let opinions and political views stand in the way of someone else coming to know Christ. James 2.14 tells us, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Coming here and worshiping every time the door opens is great. I hope and pray everyone takes advantage of that. But what are we doing with that faith, church? James 1.22 tells us, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. If we aren't doing anything with it, the Bible very clearly tells us what we are doing. We're deceiving ourselves. We are lying to ourselves, believing we have faith. The Bible tells us the hearer of, a word, hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who intently looks at his natural face in the mirror and once he walks away, forgets what it was like. Meaning we come here, Pastor Micah preaches a sermon that makes us assess where our hearts are at. We feel the conviction of the Lord and it's pressed upon our hearts. He pushes the sins we commit to the forefront of our minds. But as soon as we walk out those double doors, we forget all that. We think life is great, and we just go along our merry way. That is what it means to be a hearer only of the word. A doer of the word is someone who has Christ leading their life. They aren't letting their opinions and preferences get in the way of someone else coming to Jesus. So you know who wasn't initially a doer of the word? Jonah. See, God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and do one thing. Tell the people to repent. That's it. He wasn't asking them to do push-ups. He wasn't asking them to run a marathon. He wasn't having to do a tough mutter. Anything like that. He wasn't asking them to do anything hard. Just go to Nineveh 
and tell the people to repent from their evil ways. The problem was Jonah let his opinions of the people of Nineveh get in the way of God's grace and mercy. He didn't think they deserved God's grace and mercy. He let his opinions get in the way so much he decided to run from the Lord's command. He didn't want to go where God was leading him. He ended up hopping on a boat to try and escape what God was telling him to do. What a ridiculous thought that is. He tried to run from God. Now, don't fault Jonah, because we are Jonah. How many times have you heard the Lord speak into your life, and you just ran from it? But luckily for the people of Nineveh, God had other plans. Jonah was swallowed by a giant fish after being thrown off that boat. Eventually, Jonah followed the Lord, and he did what the Lord wanted to do. He went to the people of Nineveh and gave one of the most lackluster decrees to the people. (laughs) And I'm going to try to say it. These verses, the way I think Jonah would have issued them in. All right, so Jonah 3, 6 through 9. And he issued the proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of kings and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And through this lackluster decree, the people of Nineveh repent and God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with. He eventually turned into a doer of the word, even if it was reluctantly. See, Jonah was willing to let his opinions and preferences get in the way of what the Lord was wanting to do. We need to strive to make sure we aren't Jonah. See, on the flip side... Paul was a doer of the word, a man of action taken out of his comfort zone, a man at one point who was hunting Christians like he was a biblical dog to bounty hunter. God came to him and his life changed forever. He followed Christ from that moment forward on Damascus and onto the road from Damascus. He went around spreading the gospel for the good of the kingdom. If you add up all the travels throughout his life, Paul traveled 10,000 miles and he went and doing that you know, in an air-conditioned car. You know, he went everywhere he could to share the good news of the gospel, and he did it at a cost. See, he eventually lost his life for spreading the word of God. He became a martyr in Rome. But it's not like his life was all rainbows and sunshine before that. This guy was whipped, beaten, stoned, been by a snake, shipwrecked three times, and spent several years in prison. None of that sounds like a life of luxury. But he did it because... Jesus told him to start following him, and he turned from his previous life and did exactly that. See, God called Peter, or Paul, (laughs) for his work on the Great Commission. He called Paul to spread the good news, and he did it. He did it because he loved Christ. He had a heart on fire to do everything he could for God as God commanded because he loved him. See, J.D. Greer once said, without love, even the most radical devotion to God is of no value to him. Let me make sure that sinks in. You can gain all the spiritual gifts in the world. You can take the most radical steps of obedience. You can share every meal with the homeless in your city. You can memorize the book of Leviticus. You can pray each morning for four hours like Martin Luther. But if what you do does not flow out of the heart of love, a heart that does these things because it generally desires to do them, it is ultimately worthless to God. That's why we should be desire. English is hard. That's why we should desire to be led. Because we love Jesus. 
We can do everything the right way on paper, but if it is not done in love, then it's all for naught. My prayer for us is we would not measure our faith on behavior, because if we do that, we're going to come up short every single time. But rather that we would fall in love with Christ. Because once you love Christ, the good works actually begin, and it's through Jesus, not through us. We see this type of radical change in people's lives all the time. The author of that book I mentioned earlier, Forgotten Jesus by Robbie Gallaty. Robbie was at one point a hardcore drug addict. This guy had a $180 a day heroin and cocaine addiction. While on his second rehab treatment, he remembered the gospel a friend shared uh, to him um, in college. Now he has a passion to share the gospel with everyone and make disciples. He went from hardcore drug addict to a hardcore love for Christ. We may not have these type of problems, but a lot of us have been running from God, are far from God, or are afraid to come home to him because you thought you'd be coming home to a whooping. But Jesus makes it very clear in John 3:17, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. If this is you, it's time to turn around and come home. There is no condemnation for those found in Christ. He wants to lead your life, only if you will let him. And moving on to the third and final reason, this is a dangerous prayer, and it is because it makes us rely on and trust in God. We have all heard the saying that God won't give us more than we can handle. Oh, yes, he will. <laughs> because we aren't supposed to rely on ourselves. We are supposed to rely on God. He can handle it all, which is way more than we can handle. See, do you think that Gideon could have handled the midnights on his own? That guy was a coward. It was God that made him dwindle his army of 32,000 down to 300. I'm sure Gideon wanted an even bigger army. See, God commanded that army be dwindled for the simple fact that no one was ever going to get confused on who won that battle with 300 men. Gideon had to rely on God to see him through, and we should not be any different. If we are to be led by Christ, we have to have a little bit of Gideon in us. We have to understand that when we are weak, he is strong. We do not lean on our own strength, but his. Amen. You know, some days I can walk into the gym and think I'm the biggest, strongest guy in there. But I'm absolutely nothing in front of the almighty God. And I'm even less than nothing without him. Amen. See, Psalm 118.8, which has been said to be the center verse in all the Bible. If true, this is pretty, pretty significant. The Bible tells us it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. What does trust in man look like? It looks like King Saul. A king that the people of Israel wanted. The people of Israel put their trust in Saul. He was the king they wanted. They rejected God to be like every other nation. And they wanted a king and God gave them what they desired. You know, Saul was a foot taller than all the other Israelites. He was good looking. He was exactly what the people wanted. Problem was he didn't keep a heart on fire for God. We get a picture of who Saul really is when Goliath comes to town. He comes out and starts insulting the Israelites and the God. And what do they do? Nothing. Saul does absolutely nothing. They stand there and let this giant continuously mock and ridicule God. And they don't do anything. The Bible even says that all the men, including Saul, lost their courage and were terrified. Nothing is done about Goliath until David comes on the scene. David arrives with lunch for his brothers and says he will fight the giant. The guy delivering bologna sandwiches had to do what the king of Israel wasn't willing to do. 
David should not have been the one that fought Goliath. It should have been Saul. He was the king. He was God's anointed. He was what the people wanted. He was what the Israelites put their trust in. But he was a man, and he chose to be afraid of Goliath instead of putting his trust in God. David, the man after God's own heart, had to step in and do what Saul was too afraid to do. Are we going to be Saul or are we David? When the going gets tough, are we going to stand there terrified or will we put our trust in God? I want to move on to, to another example of what it looks like to rely on God. And that is the story of Naaman. The story of Naaman comes from 2 Kings. And in this story, we see that Naaman is the commander of an army. But he has just one problem. He has leprosy. This is us. Leprosy is a very fitting picture of sin. Leprosy spreads and kills just as sin does. We are lepers before we come to Christ. Naaman decides to gather all his material possessions and brings all his fortune to purchase healing. He believed that God could be bought. He believed healing could be purchased. Elisha, the prophet, receives word of Naaman's predicament and wants Naaman to come to him. When Naaman gets there, Elisha has a messenger go and tell him to wash in the Jordan River seven times and he will be healed. Naaman was really, really mad about this. This insulted Naaman. See, a messenger told him to be cleansed. It wasn't Elisha that came out to greet him. He's angry because this wasn't what he wanted. He wanted Elijah to come. He wanted him to call the name of Yahweh and wave his hand over his head and be healed, cure his disease. He didn't want to have to dunk himself into that gross river seven times. Who would? You know? A servant had to approach him and explain to him that it's, essentially he's being ridiculous. God is willing to bestow a miracle on Naaman, but his pride and arrogance wasn't willing to listen. Naaman's story is how we should be obedient and humble to God. We do not lean on our own understanding where to do what the Lord tells us to do. We rely on him. See, Naaman wanted to be healed his way. He wanted to buy God. He wanted everything to be done his way and wanted to control the way in which it was done. But that's not the way God works. It's not the way God works at all. We are to rely on God. It's, not God. it's God that's in control. We are to trust and rely on his way, not our own. So far, I've shown you the man who did not rely on God the man who reluctantly relied on God, but I want to leave you with a man that relied on Jesus, or God. See, Pastor Michael, Brother Michael, talked about him two weeks ago when he did a sermon, but I want to talk about John the Baptist, the camel-wearing, locust and honey-eating last prophet before the arrival of Christ, John the Baptist. And with John, we get this beautiful picture of how he is fulfilling prophecy. See, in Malachi uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Least I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John is the Elijah to come. His clothing choice, camel hair and leather belt, were not uncommon garbs in that time period. It was the attire of a poor person and were an outward indication of John's humble choice to live a lifestyle of poverty. And it was a choice because John's father was a priest, so he could have claimed a place to work and serve in the temple. It was his choice to live this way. His clothing choice is a direct connection to the prophet Elijah. 2 Kings 1.8 says, Elijah is a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. I'm guessing John wasn't a hairy guy, so he had to improvise a little bit. 
15, even his love of locusts and honey is a parallel to Elijah. Besides, they are a good source of protein. And Robert, Robert said they taste like chicken. <laughs> See, John the Baptist was there to proclaim the kingdom of heaven had arrived. And he did just that. He would baptize people with water, but he proclaimed someone was coming greater than him. And that was Christ, and John recognized that. John was the one that baptized Jesus, even though he said he needed to be baptized by him. John said that he was unfit to unstrap Christ's uh, sandals. John fully believed in his heart that Jesus was the Son of God. He relied on him and trusted him that his will would be done. See, when John was imprisoned, he still relied on God even though he doubted. He sent a messenger to ask Christ, are you the coming one? Understand that John's in a very peculiar situation. He's caught between the prison and the platter. John wasn't doubting Jesus as the Messiah. He was questioning his agenda. He was expecting to see the Holy Spirit poured out on his people. He was expecting fire to be poured out on the wicked. He was expecting to be freed from prison. See, John saw the heavens opened up when Christ was baptized. He heard the voice from heaven. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He takes his worries and doubts to Jesus. But instead of giving in to those doubts, he went and put them at the feet of Christ. He has a servant go to Christ and ask him, are you the coming one or is it someone else? Are you God or not? What are you waiting for? Why aren't you doing what was planned? See, Jesus responds that he is healing the blind, the lame walk, the deaf hear. But John knows all that. He has heard these things. Jesus is not speaking to John's doubts about his identity. Christ is telling him, I'm performing miracles, but I'm not coming for you. He is telling John that his agenda is different from what John had expected. Christ had a plan, and that plan included John the Baptist being put in prison and eventually beheaded. Think of it like this. Most of us in here have gotten the idea to do a puzzle. You obviously trusted the company that made the puzzle to have all the pieces in the box. Do you trust God the same way you trust that company? See, this is a message we all need to hear. When our lives aren't going the way we want, we have a tendency to doubt Christ and who he is. Jesus' message is, uh, to John is a reminder to us that Jesus is who he said he was. He is God. That doesn't mean his plans keep us away from pain and suffering, though. It means we rely and trust in Christ no matter the circumstances. I want to leave you all with a quote by C.S. Lewis on how we are to rely on God. Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. This is how we are to rely on God each and every day. I pray that through these verses and talking points and examples, we see that this prayer to God is so beneficial, but so dangerous as well. He will do a work in your life if you just let him. But more importantly than doing a work in your life, he will use you to spread the gospel for the glory of his kingdom. Christ didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding down the fort. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive at death safely. It's time to go in and all out for the all in all. I pray that we all pray this prayer for God to lead us. But at this time, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to spread your word. And Father, I ask that minds and hearts and eyes be moved towards you, Lord, and that we pray this prayer to lead, that you lead us. 
Lead us, Father, in whatever you may call us, in any station in life, Lord, that you lead us. And if there's anyone in this building, Lord, that does not know you, that they come to know you, Father. Just make us dangerous, Lord, and just lead us, Father. We love you and we need you, Jesus. Amen. Spoke your name into 